Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast show. I'm very excited today because I'm interviewing colleagues from an innovative German language services company. My guests are Werner Linz, Managing Director, along with Kirsten Cooper, Head of Translation, and Alex Navrozova-Lang, who is the Head of Project Management at Kocherek GmbH in Essen, Germany. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Werner. How are you? I'm fine. So we are doing quite uh, okay here in, in Germany in the uh, current and quite difficult situation. I'm very happy to hear that. Let me start by jumping into questions. I would like to learn so much about you. There's so much interesting things that you have to share with us. Please tell us how you got involved in this industry and uh, how were the early days for you? Oh, yes. To give you the full picture, I have to start when I was 16 years old and at the beginning, I have to state that I'm German and English is not my mother tongue. So uh, I'm trying to do my best uh, here in English. So when I was 16 years old, at the first glance, of course, I I never thought to be in the uh, language uh, business. I decided to learn a profession where I could maybe someday run my own business. So with 16 years, I did an apprenticeship as uh, as a baker. So uh, I'm a baker. I went uh, five days in the bakery to work and one no day... No way, really? Uh, yes, to school. So whenever mm-hmm. you need a bread, I mean a German bread, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after two years finishing this apprenticeship, I did my 15 months mandatory military service. At this time, you had to do it in Germany. And after this, I, I wanted to carry on my career in a bakery pastry shop. So I did a second apprenticeship in a pastry shop so I can even uh, give you ice cream pralines <laughs> cakes whatever so I did this and then to follow on and get some to gain more experience I went to uh, Berlin and at this time Berlin was totally different than Berlin is today it was you know the, uh, an island uh, in Germany Berlin uh, there I started to go to premium hotels in the pastry department to learn how to prepare your desserts things like this so this was quite interesting and during this time I've learned that there's a hotel business school in Berlin. So I thought it sounds quite interesting to, to get some more knowledge and on hotel business. So I went there and I was told, yes, you can start here at this school, but uh, you needed two years experience in the hotel business. I only had one year. So I thought, okay, I need another year. At this time, I nearly didn't speak any English and I wanted to gain more experience in the hotel business and some cultural experience. So I went to London. I flew to London, went from hotel to hotel and finally found a job in a pastry shop, so which means in a hotel in the pastry department. Uh, but as my objective was the hotel business school, I wanted to gain more experience in hotel business and then I found in another premium hotel a job in the restaurant. So then I was in London for nine months. From there I went to Paris to spend several months in Paris to learn a bit of French and to gain experience there. And from uh, Paris I went back to Berlin, uh, did my two years uh, hotel business uh, school, finished this and 
And during this time, I realized uh, how much I like economics because this, of course, was uh, part of the hotel business school. And mm. there I heard that in Hamburg is the, uh, I have an opportunity to study economics. So I moved on to uh, Hamburg, studied economics there. And during this time, it was a time where PCs, you know, it was not only the uh, IBM brands, PC, which was sold. So you could find some cheaper brands. And I started in this uh, business as a student selling PCs, software, working on IT fairs, and I liked it very much. It was quite interesting and, of course, uh, challenging it. So after, wow. finish, after finishing my um, university uh, degree, my first uh, job after u- university was a sales job at Xerox. So I was selling uh, copiers to uh, small and medium uh, accounts. Yeah, here I learned a lot on, on sales and, and how sales uh, works. And from uh, there, I moved on to Lexmark printer business, a management buyout from uh, IBM. In here, I, I, I had a sales job for um, large accounts in the north of Germany, selling Lexmark printers, uh, which means connecting to network to large accounts, which was, of course, quite interesting because it was more likely IT type of business. This is what I was looking for. And uh, while doing this in Lexmark, then um, they offered me a job in the European headquarters in Orléans in France. So uh, I went to uh, France, uh, to Orléans for two years, work in the um, back office area. So in, in Orléans, they grouped all European back office departments together, supply chain, parts, service organization, accounting, HR. And this was very interesting because here I, I learned on managing processes on a large scale, challenges of headquarters, and of course, uh, the challenge the country organizations are having. And after two years in Orléans, I moved on to Paris. I worked in the European marketing organization in, in Paris. Very, very interesting. You have seen so many different angles and vantage points of this industry, not to uh, overlook your culinary and baking expertise here. I'll definitely come to you for advice on that. COVID <laughs> forced us all to do something in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, so far we didn't bribe uh, any clients with uh, cakes, but maybe uh, we will start <laughs> doing this in the future. And then um, coming back to Germany after four years in, in France, I started to work for a Japanese company, which was very interesting as well to see uh, somehow the Japanese culture. I went to Japan. Yes, it was very interesting, but this was a time where I felt that I had gained enough experience to uh, run my own business, just to see, am I able to do it? Can I do it? How would it work? So I started to check the market for um, business to be sold. So I didn't focus on any specific industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the business offered was uh, Kocharek. Okay. So it's the name of the founder. She was uh, Czech. And uh, she founded the business in 1976. Wow. I always wondered, like, what Kocharek actually meant. So thanks for clarifying that. Yes. And she had around 15 uh, employees. And after the uh, due uh, diligence, I finally bought the company in 2007. Okay. Okay. And what motivated you to actually buy this company and start running your own company? Yeah, I think to run my own companies was already my uh, wish when I was 16 years old. You know, when I started to work professionally in the, in the bakery and later in the pastry shop, I thought, Maybe one day I run my own bakery or pastry uh, shop. So this was an idea I had. Good. Yeah. And to buying this business is really when when you see my life path, it's uh, IT business is very much service related. People are key. People are involved. And this is what I always liked in the hotel business because I can tell you the hotel business was always very tough. You, you earned very very little money. You had to work every hour. I, I worked in my life every hour, every night, every day, whenever. What made it interesting was always the team because if you didn't have the fun with the team, it was not always fun. Not to work it, in the yeah, hotel. absolutely. And let me actually 
ask you something, Werner, about, you said that it's, it's about the people and the culture and the team. But what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, in our business, you have to be very flexible. Sometimes the client is asking you to do a translation, a huge job within a few days. So you need to animate your people. You have to find the right people. Sometimes you, you work uh, late hours and just to do it together, to do it in a, in a teamwork. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very interesting. It's I find it much more interesting than just doing an eight to five job and every day, every minute you do the same uh, work. So I find it quite challenging. I find it challenging sometimes to talk to the client and convince the client why you can't deliver at this time, but find at the same time a solution and having a team which works on the solution. So you provide the client with the right solution and finally the client is happy and the team is happy that we manage this uh, challenge altogether. Absolutely. I agree with that philosophy, uh, Werner, because a lot of people think that they're either in the B2C business to consumer business industry or B2B business to business. And my opinion, it's, it has become edge to edge, which is human to human. And you just nailed it right there. If we have good relationships with our staff and with our clients, it's all about human connections and relationships. Yes, I fully agree because everyone has his needs and the pressure. And often first you have to understand why the client has this pressure, why the client has this short deadlines and what is going on there. And sometimes it's not uh, funny for the client under the pressure the client is. I know you have two colleagues with you, Kirsten and Alex. Let me briefly hear from them. Just do a brief introduction and uh, I would like to learn about what you do and how you got involved in the industry. Yeah, hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm running the translation department at Kotarik. Yeah, I always wanted to do something with languages. It was uh, the traditional something with languages and then I'm going to study something with languages and then figure out how to make money with that and actually learn a living. So I started studying translation and uh, cultural studies. Um, It was a mix in my studies but I realized early on that actually the translation part is always the one that's making the most fun for me and I wanted to yeah pursue that and yeah that's how I ended up. What about you Alex? I run the project management department here and um, you will notice that Kasten is much smarter than both of us <laughs> because I did not do the straight line thing and I never wanted to work in languages <laughs> and mainly because this is my background being a person uh, that immigrated from Ukraine to Germany when I was 11 with my parents. So very early on, I was sort of forced into becoming bilingual. And so communicating in more than one language was always just like a natural thing to me. And it seemed so easy and normal that I, of course, I I mean, for me, of course, I wanted to have a profession that is something new, that is not just my regular life. And so I did a lot of things that I didn't finish, like study philosophy and film. And uh, when I was almost 30, I realized that I'm almost 30 and I don't have a degree to um, actually earn my own living. And so um, I needed to do something that I could do on a professional level really quickly. And that was languages. Um, so I studied translation sciences, I think translation and cultural sciences. Catherine and I actually went to the same university just at different times. And I became a translator for Russian and English from German. But I didn't want to just work on text. I always was more comfortable working with people and finding solutions for problems. So I knew I needed something that is an environment that is much more stressful than just you and the text. Project management seemed really perfect. It actually is. So I've been at this job for four years and it's honestly one of my favorite things to do. It is rewarding, yes. Yeah. 
that's how I happen to be here. Thank you, Alex and Kristen, for uh, that perspective and that context. Vernon, let me ask you a question about uh, the company right now, Coachrec. How big is it, and what industries is it trying to serve? Verticals, what languages, areas of expertise? Just give us some context. Yes. So uh, currently, we are a total of twenty uh, employees. So we have two people in sales and marketing. We have one in administration, eight uh, in-house translators, and eight uh, project managers. We are coming from tech technical type of translation. We're still doing a lot of technical translation, but at the same time, we're doing because we always invested in technology, IT, and things like this. So uh, we're doing things in marketing, websites, software translation, a bit of legal. We do not do medical translation or pharmaceutical translation. This is an area where we said we don't do it. Uh, we are much better in, in other things. I see. So, and most of your clients are based in Germany uh, or Europe? Yes. So, may most of the clients are based in Germany. We are doing purely B2B and only for end clients. We do not serve other uh, LSCs right, right. And, and we do not serve private uh, consumers, for example. Okay, very interesting. Tell me about the overall health of the language company sector in, in Germany in particular and, and in Europe in general. Yeah, I, I think that uh, some companies are doing quite well. Others have major challenges. So you see that some industries in Germany, automotive industry is struggling a little bit. I think this is more like worldwide, but you know, Germany has a very strong automotive industry. So I think uh, LSC servicing automotive industry, I assume they're facing really a challenge. Some companies hit by the COVID-19 situation. So of course, we are hit as well. We see that we have less business, but we are not struggling and we are not anyhow at risk. We just see that, of course, some companies, their salespeople could not travel. They're selling less machineries or whatever reason. So we get some less work from some clients and from some other clients, we get the same amount or even more than before. Let me mention that there's currently the German Association of Translation Companies, the QSD, is currently running a market research. And on September 17th, from uh, 3 to 5.30 p.m., uh, you can log in to an online event where the results are shown. And what I can already disclose is because of the COVID-19 situation, many companies so far responded that uh, they see that they do less business between up to 30, even up to 50%, and many less than 30% of their business. I think because Germany is the biggest European market, and it's the first research which is done this way in the last several years. So we believe it's a very interesting research and very interesting outcome. Indeed it is. The subject of our conversation today is the evolution of LSC. You have decided to pivot your service offering to a certain degree and offer technology-focused language solutions, as, as you just mentioned. Tell me what motivated you to get into this sector of the industry? I think it's uh, curiosity. So I, I really like, as, as you've seen in my, when I was talking about my CV, that I always did uh, different things. And I can tell you after university, all jobs I did were newly created uh, jobs. And I always liked it to step into new things and finding opportunities and figuring out how to make things uh, work. So I like to look into tools. I know you're looking into software tools and uh, you're talking about it. I like as well to look into it to find out, can we use it? Does it help us? Could it help our people? Will it finally bring some value to our clients? Yes, this is what really motivates me to do these things. And this is what I like in this industry. Yeah, you can play with many different uh, things. You have this IT, you have the software, you have the services, the people, and try to bundle it to bring the most value to your clients. Absolutely. What is the state of technology adoption among European LSEs today in general? I believe we, we see uh, many LSEs in 
in investing. Here, especially in Germany, one of the keywords is digitalization and especially for the industry, machinery industry, uh, where they try to connect all the machines, Internet of Things, which means for uh, us as LSC that our clients are asking as well, what can you do? And we work with different systems. Can we connect to your system? So I see that many, many LSCs here are just challenged to work on technology, adapt technology. Let me ask Kirsten about this. You run the translation department in Kocherek and how has technology evolved and affected the way you do things compared to how you did it before? I think in the translation industry today, we are very, very used to quick changes in technology. I see that some people struggle with that and they try to hold off a bit. They're very, they might be a bit afraid of, oh, what will MT do to us? How is it going to affect our work? But I think if you start early on to really get to know the technology and just think about, yeah, but what kind of possibilities does it open up? Not, okay, what kind of business will it take away from you? It won't. If you adapt, if you use it, if you make sure you know how to do post-editing, then you can make use of MT and it will not like uh, be a hazard to your job or a risk, but your job will just change. It won't go away. If you truly adapt and always go with the flow and just be very yeah, open to inquisitive it. about it and yeah. open about it and just try to get to know it because if you get to know it then you know how to use it it opens up more space actually more jobs and yes of course it's changing and transforming the industry on a daily basis i mean just look at what nmt developed has developed in like the past year it's been enormous it mt has always been a buzzword but in 2016 it was like yeah well it's nice to use in very very specific cases and then a year later you look at it another year later and in 2019 you're like wow this is really usable. Absolutely. Finally, it's in, in certain language pairs, <laughs> have to say. We have also seen in some language pairs, no, don't do it. <laughs> it won't help. But yeah, so we just see opportunities in the technology. If you're really on board with it and open to it, it can do a lot of good things for your industry and for your job. Technology in our industry has more or less been associated with the actual work of executing translation. So whether it was CAT tools, uh, for those who don't know what CAT is, it's computer-aided translation. These are tools that we translators use to produce translation. And then there's MT or machine translation, which has recently been becoming more mainstream that helps in, in automating the translation process. But there are so many other areas that translation or the technology can be applied to within the translations uh, industry. Alex, let me hear your uh, thoughts on how technology has affected the logistics of doing the translation, the project management, for example. Do you see that technology has improved things? Because personally, I think that there's way too much focus on executing translation, very little focus on improving uh, project management software, for example, or things that we use on a daily basis. Do you see any improvements at all using technology? Personally, I'm not sure if this the new technology um, has had a big impact impact yet on project management solutions, at least not that I am aware of. Uh, what has happened, um, of course, is the fact just the digitalization process that Vanna just mentioned really saved us in the COVID situation just because we had implemented certain digital solutions already in the years prior to this one. And so when COVID happened, we basically didn't face any new challenges. All we had to do was just use the, for example, 
example, the phone software that we had implemented a year ago and just the, the other tools. And it was just as easy to take care of basically all the work with half of our people not being actually in the office, but working from home, especially also home office equipment. So this is, I think, maybe the IT solutions here have helped us more in the just the overall structure of the company and less just in the project management area. At least this is how we have experienced it so far. Do you have any examples that you uh, might be referring to right now? Absolutely. For example, automating the repetitive uh, tasks within project management. Can AI, for example, be used to help project managers do more work, uh, spend less time on tedious type of uh, activities that can be delegated to a computer to do that. Do you see that creeping into our industry? Because it's happening everywhere else except our industry, in my opinion. I think actually maybe this differs from company to company and it depends very much on what your core competencies are because we've been actually looking into this for quite a while and we've been trying to implement AI solutions and also automatization into our work. But with our clients and with the type of project that we focus on, we almost can't do this because every project seems to be so different in the in just the content that needs to be taken care of. I think the types of jobs where automatization would be key to just to uh, make the work easier simply don't get to us, I think. Because usually uh, we're contacted by clients with just certain files and just text where they're not even sure on how they need to localize it for a different country or for, for any country or just how to handle this type of content globally. And so we need to really just in take an in-depth look at every project and then figure out what's the best way to deliver exactly the solution that the customer is asking for. Whereas the customer themselves might not actually know exactly what they need. They just know that the effect that it's supposed to have, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. So I don't think that with our type of business, we have been able to do much automatization. No, so yeah, what you do is like in little steps and, and, you know, doing some work with templates, doing things like this, which automates yeah. part of it. But we invested more likely in our people. So to do a lot of training in our people to deal with these different projects. Yeah. Trying to find out quite easily in the way how to talk to your client, to understand your client. So, like you mentioned, the age-to-age uh, business, so human-to-human. So we, we invested more here because we have seen that seems to be even more important because we have seen that on the client side they are reducing employees, oh, so yeah. you have less people. Uh, sometimes they don't even pass the, the information over to their colleagues. So it's us. We are more likely the knowledge base for some clients, and when the new project comes in, we know what to do. We explain what to do, but therefore you have to invest in your own people because you cannot expect someone coming from university and being able to understand the client's need and to communicate the right way and so on. So there's where we invested. So we always monitor the technology where we can do a better job. If there are repeated jobs, we try to analyze them and see a way how to automate them. But at the same time, we see that the people management and the focus on people dealing with people is very important. This is at least, uh, let's call it a niche we are in. I know that uh, some yeah. companies, 
have uh, different challenges, but our challenge is, uh, is really um, right. talking to the client, understanding the client and providing the solution and even uh, yeah, creating the solution for the client. As Alex mentioned, sometimes the client doesn't really know what he oh, needs. How to get uh, yeah, there. How, how yeah. to get there. Yes, that's probably better. Yeah. Right, right, right. I was speaking with Andre Hemker and Mike Mellows uh, recently on the topic of uh, cybersecurity and, and they brought up a very interesting point. They said that uh, LSCs have not evolved that much in Europe and uh, they do not adopt technology that easily and uh, that quickly. Werner, would you care to comment on that? What is actually this obstacle that's stopping technology companies in Europe or translation companies in Europe rather to to adopt technology quickly? I would say, yes, I see many LSEs making efforts to move the company towards technology uh, solutions. Of course, it's always a challenge in terms of uh, staff here in Europe, GDPR, investment, and even deciding where's the right investment to be placed. So, yes, we see that there are many companies and of course it's not always all companies in the industry doing it or willing to do so and it depends a bit on your clients I mean if your client is not not challenging you and not asking to do it and you can do easily day-to-day business without investing and and you're making a good profit I think then the risk is that you don't move but if you get the right clients you are searching for the right clients who challenge uh, you then you invest and, and you move anyhow because you have to absolutely different industries um have opened new opportunities and doors for our industry, for the language industry. I'm talking about things like data science and blockchain industries. Do you think that the language sector is properly exploiting these opportunities? Oh, I think it's quite hard to give an answer for the entire language industry. I think it depends largely on the size of, of your company and your core business and the client uh, portfolio to do so. Like with the blockchain industry, I actually don't see um, a real business case currently on, on blockchain, for example. There might be some in the future. Currently, I don't see one. So I think it's hard to give you an answer for the entire language industry. But there are opportunities that I think the industry as a whole should be looking at. Yes. I, I mean, in general, always to see like uh, well, uh, we are always interesting to see what type of startup are coming up, what type of ideas are behind, um, when they need support for languages. And it, um, I'm not only saying in localization or translation, but maybe there's any different support in languages. You know, we are talking about um, uh, voice recognition. Uh, the systems has to be trained, uh, things like this. So, um, yes, I think there are uh, plenty of opportunities. That, that's interesting because my own company, um, Hybrid Links, uh, which has been rebranded from YYZ Translations, has been, uh, you know, pivoting into this area. We were doing a lot of, uh, for example, training of um, uh, machine learning uh, projects. We, we create uh, data sets in multiple languages and, and they are apply them and, and things like chatbots and so forth. These things are hot commodities these days, uh, also known as you know digital assistants and so on. Tell me, where do you see opportunities with these products uh, and how culture right now is uh, getting into these new sectors? Yes. So you mentioned the uh, chatbots and um, I think now you find several software providers who offer chatbot uh, kits, um, which means that uh, it makes it easy to create your personalized chatbot without programming um, and most implementers who, who implement the chatbot um, they focus on the technology side of the chatbot and they underestimate the linguistic and cultural aspect like you have to define a persona the intent management keywords things like this and the multilingual version oftentimes is an afterthought Absolutely. so we, we see like the, the opportunity are, are threefold like uh, designing monolingual chatbots designing multilingual chatbots including 
different localization services right. and providing localized version of a chatbot, which was originally designed only for one language. So uh, this is just for the chatbots, uh, uh, many opportunities. And you're right, the, the opportunities are many in these areas, and that can include uh, things like, general, I, I think there are even scenarios that we even haven't even thought of that technology will will evolve and introduce us to. What other areas of interest do you have in mind for Kotorek to exploit and experiment with? I mean, me me personally, uh, my current fun are these Oculus glasses, virtual uh, reality. So uh, I was just amazed. So several uh, uh, months ago, I had a chance, it was more uh, a party private, party business uh, encounter, and uh, we were playing with these glasses, and uh, I, I thought, I'm not sure if you uh, ever tried the virtual reality uh, glasses and played with them, so uh, they bring you in areas where you believe you are no longer on Earth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, um, so this is one thing, and um, uh, the other thing is more like f- as well for our company uh, because you know I mentioned uh, people how important it is to train your people and have your people respond uh, the right way to your client. So we are looking into becoming a more agile uh, company and using tools like Kanban uh, system things like this. Because we see one of the challenges we see is that the client have a lot of pressure in coming up with projects, either high volume or they need different solutions which do not exist right now. And then you have to act on it and, and you have to find a solution for the client. And therefore, you need your people willing to do so, your people um, that they are uh, creative in a way in, in, in finding the right solution. And um, this is a way which takes year to year. Uh, or even more, at least, to bring like, your company this way. And this is what we are working on. Kirsten, when I talked about in evolution, uh, there, there are new areas of interest. How do you take all of these, create a roadmap for your translation department? And same goes for you, Alex. I'll pose the same question. How do you prepare your project management team to be in line with what uh, Werner strategically has in mind to, to bring into the organization? Um, yeah, we're actually we're communicating a lot in, in person and um, have regular meetings and we usually map out like the broad idea within uh, within the department heads, but then we usually try to move on quickly to prepare the people and just communicate to them, okay, this is what we're planning, this is what we're going, and then we start out slow, we start out with a test project where maybe one other project manager and one other translator is involved so they can um, put both perspectives into the projects and then um, build on knowledge step by step and um, see in usually the first live projects, okay, how is this going? We monitor those closely and see, okay, what went well, what didn't go well? Um, who, ha- who has another perspective, what happened here, what happened there, and just work on the processes always within the team. And by that, I don't mean within the one translation team, but always the team is all, can always consists of people from di- the different departments because they bring the different perspectives to make it work in the end. So this is usually how we start. We just start by communicating, then put out a broad roadmap and start with a smaller test project, go live, have bigger projects, and then widen it onto the entire team. Alex, I guess you are also in line with what Kirsten just mentioned. Absolutely. Um, And I think what's really important, and maybe it's becoming more important, um, on a daily basis is um, to empower and encourage everybody on your team and just in the entire company um, to be fearless 
restless and curious and、um, hungry for new opportunities, and、um, to always be able to rely on each other, but also especially on themselves. So what we need, and、um, I think. Everybody needs right now、um, are people who are not afraid to let's say open an email and be confronted with the fact that they don't completely understand the content. They see that the client needs something and that the client needs something really fast,、Absolutely. and that this is something that we haven't done before. So that there is there is nobody really、uh, to go to and to be like, I have this project. I know that you've done this before. Can you either tell me how to do this, or maybe can you just take this off my hands and、um, can you do This so I can、um, go back to something more comfortable.、Um, so I think because everything is moving so quickly and um, new um, technological developments are really exciting, but also sometimes tend to be quite overwhelming at first glance.、Uh, we are really focused on getting everybody to a point where anyone here in the office or at home <laughs> right now is more、um, excited by an email like that. By having to、uh, come up with a solution from scratch and to build their own team, and to know that even though today I don't know how to do this, I know that next week I will have figured this out because I have done this before with something completely different.、Um, I think this is more important to have these overall structures in place、uh, to be ready for the future and just also for the present, as opposed to、um, figuring out the details of every project and to teach everybody. How to do something that we've done last week? Because maybe the thing that was here last week will never happen before, but something completely new will happen tomorrow, and this is what we're going to need tomorrow. If that uh, makes uh, sense. Uh, absolutely, it makes a hundred percent sense. And and、uh, speaking of from experience, I have to tell you, and I disagree with most industry pundits who say, you know, you need to have a process.、Uh, when an email comes in, you need to have an answer. So everything needs to be scripted and templated. In my opinion, that does not work for.、Uh, Uh, most service industries, including ours, as you said, most of the time the clients don't know what they want.、Uh, their requirements are so unique and so different、yeah. from each other that you can simply not have a template that fits.、Uh, you know, that's one size fits all. So in, in that case, you need to be able to evolve, adapt, and and be agile enough to address all of those very unique scenarios. And and you, your point is very much noted. It's very unique. I think most. Companies are not thinking in that way, and and it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I this, but this is what we're trying to do. That's very interesting. How how you're getting there, Werner? What will be the next technological driver for language companies in in the natural cycle of evolution? Yeah, I believe as you mentioned, uh, uh, AI. Um,、right. We will see it more and more in our industry, and and as well in our clients, like、uh, we mentioned, the voice recognition, the uh, uh, natural language understanding, NMT, and all that needs link. Linguistic、uh, training input or correction, like、uh, post editing, and in any possible way. So、um, we believe that maybe there's some less translation, localization, but maybe more in in training and preparing uh, uh, data or, or language-based data.、Uh, of course, yes. Continuing on, let's、uh, talk about strategizing for future. What factors, Werner, do you take in mind to build a strategy for the next,、uh, let's say, X month, many months, twelve、uh, months, twenty-four months? What's what's your thought process? Yes, I think what what we are carrying on, what we mentioned and, and Alex mentioned、uh, as well, is that、um, 
investing in our team members and our people, providing uh, trainings, sharing information, encouraging them to think uh, outside the box is, is what uh, Alex uh, mentioned, and mm -hmm. using our agility to provide a profitable service. So this is important as well. So not just to provide a service or find a solution, it has to be profitable because if you have good people, uh, of course, you have to pay a living to them Absolutely. and to our freelancers. So it has to be a profitable service. And uh, in areas which at first glance you do not seem to fall into uh, the category of traditional translation services. So be open enough to see where the business is. And if your first question is uh, to your client, do you need it translated? And the client says no. And then you say, okay, then you're not my client. Might be not the right uh, way in the future. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Let's continue that discussion. Uh, how often do you define and refine your service offering. Uh, you just mentioned that you have to think outside the box and translation may not be the only option for your client. How do you analyze what is to be offered at what price and to whom? I'm particularly interested about uh, adding new service and languages to your list of services. How do you decide what's the thought process and, and, and getting that done? Yes, yes, yes um, so when we understand that a client has a specific uh, need, we sit together with our PMs, with our translators and define an easy to use use and secure a process. So um, at the same time, we calculate the cost involved and decide if this is a service we might uh, offer for free. So it's part of our localization or, or whatever service we're offering. Complimentary. If we charge uh, 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 to this and if we find out that this might be very interesting to us. So it's a profitable service. The client is asking for it and it's maybe the first time a client is asking for this solution, but we believe this, this is a solution or requirement that many other companies might have. We might start to build something around it and then to start to, to contact them. And what I find quite uh, interesting is very often you get your first like, client approach with something you never heard of. You start to find a solution and the next day, next week, next month, you get more or less the same uh, request from a different client. You say, wow, what is going on? And, and uh, so... It was worthwhile looking into this uh, and you're climbing up your learning curve. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something different. Let's talk about, let's discuss your sales approach. How do you prospect and acquire a client? For example, in case of uh, new service offerings that you just mentioned, uh, let's let's say chatbots. How do you decide where to start and start an offer this? Are you looking at existing clients or you want to go and, and find new clients and tell them, hey, we we are unique, you know, you, you need this specific service from what I understand and, and we are offering that. What's, what's the thought process like there? Yes, I, I think when, when we started, we uh, saw the challenge by, um, first of all, we are very low in our learning curve with the chatbots when we started and we wouldn't go and couldn't go to a client just saying, look, we can provide you with a chatbot and we know everything about uh, chatbots. Uh, what we did, um, we started with a network of uh, partners. Um, so first of all, we partnered with uh, technology providers that we have access to the technology. Um, we could play with the technology. We could um, uh, build our own uh, chatbot to clearly understand. Then we were asked to uh, support on a, on a chatbot. So uh, we learned, so we sold the service and it's the same time we could learn a lot. The client came back and wanted the chatbot in, in another language, in a more difficult, difficult language. Uh, he changed things with the chatbot and we um, always uh, found right. the solution and, and, and learned by it. Um, and um, for us, we see it, especially with the chatbots, uh, many companies, especially bigger, bigger companies, uh, 
would not ask us to implement the chatbot uh, because often they connected to the SAP system, uh, like an like an ERP system um, or project information management system. So they would more likely uh, ask to uh, implement it. Uh, uh, companies who really implement a chatbot with the APIs and things like this. And uh, our uh, aim is to connect with these companies and tell them, look, when, whenever you have to do something with a chatbot, language is always involved. And we as a specialist in, in, in languages, like even in German or in, in different foreign languages. Yeah, absolutely. And Thank you for that explanation. Uh, let me ask Kirsten about how, for example, these new things will come into the department and how do you train and adapt your end resources to deliver? For example, we're talking about chatbots. We're taking corpuses of data and, you know, adding context to it and getting it translated. Do you do you do things that are not traditionally applicable in the language industry? For example, do you also provide testing services uh, for these chatbots so that they provide the right answers and, and make sense in those target languages? How do you train your uh, your um, frontline workers on that on, in these cases? Um, so, yeah, in this case, um, we started as um, partnering up and just gaining lo- knowledge about the technology itself and how it does it work how does intent management work and um, we have a computer linguist who um, is exactly able to take the bridge from technology and linguistics and so in the team um, for example we received a file and the client said well we need a translation of this and because we already had the knowledge about chatbots, we were realizing this is not a translation. You don't need a translation. You need a localization for a chatbot. Is this a chatbot? And then it was like, oh, so we don't need a translation. You need synonyms in your foreign language. You don't need a translation of the existing synonyms. You need a completely different thing. You need what will the actual user later on type in there. You will need spelling errors in the foreign language. And so this, when we realized, okay, this is a different task, um, we um, found out, okay, what are all the aspects that can go, that, that need to be there to be considered to make, for example, correct intent management? And our computer linguist tested this on our own chatbot. And from there, we already had like a lot of experience in, okay, what are the things we need to look out for? And this is then the knowledge that we could give to our translators or localized um, freelancers also in other languages who are not in-house. To, to give them a feeling of like, okay, what is the task? What do you need to do? And then um, you give that knowledge on to the next person and just go from there. And then you have already, for example, we had other partners in translation and they did one language for us. And then in the next language, they already had learned, okay, from our feedback for the first project, they already had learned, oh, okay, these are things we need to look out for. And so we just really try out the things ourselves and then go from there to bring yeah, knowledge to that, the that people. makes sense. Yeah. So you create a process, you bake it to make sure that it works, and, and then obviously you pass it on to your resources to make sure that they follow it. it that's standard and makes sense. So there is the terminology in the tech industry called human in the loop when uh, AI is involved or things of this nature. I think we are the most representative of that, that specific phrase right now. We are humans in the loop to get AI to, to develop skills and so forth. So I agree with that. So Werner, let me get back to the business aspects of uh, LSCs. If you were to list the top three challenges facing LSCs in Europe today, what would you say they are and how to overcome those challenges? Yeah, I, I believe uh, uh, 
frequently the industry uh, undermines itself by offering very low rates while not being transparent regarding the service included and this makes it harder for the client to make a valid comparison and informed decision. So we see that uh, there are quicker turnaround times, the decreasing volume per order and we see that we should really be moving away from the outdated pricing model price per word. You know, because we were talking so much about solutions, we were talking about chatbots, we were talking about the client is not sure really um, how the solution looks like and how can you how, how can you charge this by word? I mean, uh, the client might send you 100 words, but you need five hours to create the right solution just to get this 100 words localized. And how can you how can you charge the client 100 uh, words? So no one um, can pay a living out of this. So um, this is a challenge uh, we see uh, really moving away from the price per word. And we have clients who understand and, and who are following us. But of course, we see still many competitors whatever you send them a file and, and you ask them can you do this and the only things they do they pass it through the machine count the words multiply and that's a price there is consensus on that and, and it's not just in Europe it's it's happening everywhere and unfortunately you know sometimes technology also has its vices in the language industry we, we've seen so many of those scenarios before let's continue talking about uh, generalities here the world economy is facing an existential threat in so many areas including social political changes COVID-19 is another one and even environmental. How do you see the language industry faring compared to other industries? I think we are somehow uh, lucky in our industry because uh, many companies in the language industry are more flexible than companies in other industries because uh, we can scale the business because we use uh, freelancers. So um, this at the same time where we need to show uh, great social responsibility and not only for our in-house staff but also and rather especially with our freelancers. So you know the freelancers is just not there by oh well, now it's COVID-19 situation, I, I use less freelancers and maybe even put pressure on them because there's less business in the market. So maybe I can uh, decrease uh, the price. Um, I think this is not the right thing uh, to do. So uh, I believe that um, a professional LSC uh, needs to charge a certain price level uh, to undertake the reach services and to pay a living to the staff and the freelancers. And uh, so, yes, we are lucky enough there's more flexibility in here, but at the same time, um, you should always take your um, uh, social responsibility and making sure that your freelancers who are really in, in when there's a lot of work to do and they're they're going and working weekends, things like this, to help you out with some projects. You should not forget it when there's less work to do. So um, we try to pay uh, our invoices uh, faster to them. We ask them when they have an issue and, and need an invoice paid uh, much faster than uh, we would do so. Um, and of course, some of our freelancers get less jobs from us if we get less jobs, but uh, we don't forget them. They are really our partners. You can only run a good business with good stuff and good freelancers. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. We have a social contract and, and we need to help them, you know, because they're the backbone of our industry and we need to be there for them when they need it. That being said, do you think technology will help us address some of these challenges and in what ways? Yes. Still, I believe the right mix of trained people and the technology uh, to support the trained people in executing their tasks will help us to provide a better service to our clients. So I think it's it's a mixture. So for us, people comes first and technology should support the people um, and to provide the right solution. So it's not like having the technology and finding the right people to fit them into the technology is for us not the right way. First, the people and second, the technology. I, I couldn't agree with you further. This is an, a perfect example 
of how to you know bring people and technology and automation together if you were to compare european and north american lscs how do you how do they differ in terms of how are they different in terms of challenges and opportunities that they are presented with so first of all for us here in in little germany we see north america is one huge market with lots of opportunity but at the same time we see that uh, laws rules and taxes might differ from state to state you know if if i see the ab5 um, in in california the situation uh, there um, for example and they differ of course between us and, and and canada so i think this is a challenge it's opportunity one huge market but many challenges and in europe we are used to, to dealing with different uh, cultures and, and languages. So especially in Germany, we are exporting many different uh, products. And because uh, of this, Germany is the biggest market for translation services in Europe. So therefore, we see many opportunities to support our clients to communicate the right way uh, with the international clients. So this is our mission to help our clients to make better and, and more business. This is what uh, we do. But at the same time, here in Europe, I, 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 I I, I'm, um, I'm not tired to um, mention this is of course in Europe the uh, GDPR so depending which was client and uh, type of jobs you're doing for your clients um, GDPR uh, GDPR is a challenge absolutely the regulation is a uh in issue and and I don't think it's very unique to Europe alone it's affecting things in a lot of different ways although these regulations were created to protect or to to help the end user but it's creating issues for business and how has it affected the language industry in Germany we see that some clients really uh, keen and want to make sure that you follow the GDPR uh, rules so you get uh, questionnaires and, and uh, encrypted emails things like this and some other clients they do not take care so much about things uh, like you know they're using NMT and on the web as a Google uh, um, uh, translator and things like this where you should not put any personal uh, data uh, they do so I think for some clients it has some effects in the industry and some other clients do not care uh, so much I think it will still take some time until all clients have their rules internally in the company okay what would you tell other executives in in our industry in the language industry to make sure we have a sustainable and equitable ecosystem going forward so I believe uh, most important is uh, promise and uh, deliver what you have uh, promised so that the client really understands when he orders a translation localization what that he gets something where he can work with and not something but just saying okay this is normal whenever I ask for a translation it's not good I have to rework it or ah, it's, uh, it's not really uh, good so I think then the client should understand that there's a very professional business there are many professional people working in uh, many uh, good companies and when, when uh, you ask for translation localization or whatever service from uh, one of us or our colleagues that uh, the client should be happy whatever he gets out uh, there what he's asking for so we always get the quality he's asking for absolutely as we're reaching towards the end of the interview um, I, I would like to ask you to share a few words about Kocherek uh, how it's unique I know we talked about it at the beginning but here's an opportunity for a little bit of uh, marketing and how it brings value to its client and if people need to reach out to you what is the best way to do that 
yeah, first of all, if, if they want uh, to reach out to, um, of course, with business, send us some, um, uh, send us some uh, jobs. The uh, email address would be uh, info uh, at Kocharek, which is K-O-C-A-R-E-K hyphen G-M-B-H dot com. And if they want to reach out to me personally, for example, if they want to have a coffee, either here in Essen or somewhere else uh, around the world, then uh, they can contact me on uh, L-I-E-R-Z at uh, kocharek-gmbh.com and um, yeah we we didn't talk uh, so sometime at least before COVID I was uh, traveling uh, frequently so uh, as you know so then this is where uh, we know each other I, I, I love to go to the ALC conferences um, in, in the US I, I like to be there I like to meet the people I, I always my first conference was in 2010 in Miami. I really loved it. I, I learned a lot. I met uh, uh, wonderful people. So this is what I like. And at the same time, since 2009, we have a joint venture with uh, companies and therefore offices in uh, Wellington, New Zealand, in Seoul, which is South Korea, uh, Singapore, uh, and Buenos Aires in uh, Argentina. So uh, therefore, sometimes I'm, I'm traveling, currently not so much. So you can invite me for a coffee or you can come over to a coffee here in, in Essen in Germany. I'm sure a lot of people would be happy to take that offer. Let me thank you for your time, uh, Werner, Kristen, and Alex. I really enjoyed our conversation session today. I hope we can continue this exciting dialogue into future episodes where we can talk probably with each one of you individually and your areas of expertise. So that invitation stays open to you. Again, thank you very much. I'm so excited that we had this talk and I'm sure everyone listening today would also feel the same. Yes, thank you, Sultan. It was our pleasure and thank you for inviting us. As always, I've spent time looking at three products for review this week. These are relevant to language services companies and supposed to help them do their work better. The first product I'm reviewing today is Microsoft SharePoint. Offered as part of Office 365 from Microsoft, SharePoint offers a wide range of uses for the modern language services company. From building an intranet to moving your QMS for process management and education, it is very adaptable and useful. You do not require technical knowledge and it can help you streamline information very quickly. I would give it a 9 out of 10. The second product in our list today is Dropbox. I believe I talked about this before, but it is a nice little portal for secure file sharing and transfer. While not 100% safe like any other technology, it offers security and helps with file management and distribution. It offers several plans starting with a basic free offering. I think any language service company would find it useful and it can integrate with other tools through APIs. I would give it a 10 out of 10 for its ease of use and convenience. Third, we have Udo's CRM. We have already reviewed Udo as an ERP before, but today we are reviewing its CRM function. It is a nice tool for managing relationships with clients. The open source version can be installed free and it can help a small to mid-sized LSC manage their contacts, leads, and opportunities in a neat interface. Unlike most overpriced and feature-stuffed CRMs, this one offers the basic without causing too much distraction and requiring much training. I would give Odoo CRM a 10 out of 10 for its relevance and ease of use. This is it for today. I had a great time speaking with Werner, Kirsten and Alex and learned quite a bit about how LSCs evolve and what are some of their challenges, especially in Europe. I'm sure you found this conversation very interesting. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your favorite platform. Make sure to send your comments and feedback and give us a 5-star review. Until next time.
Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.